most of the times, especially us females, don't have like role models that look like us and that are in our similar age range, especially me looking at the younger side as a Gen Z. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to change that. That was something that that went through my my mind in the last few years. Who who can I who can I look up to that's on my similar age range that I can get motivation from and, and learn from to actually get to where I wanted to be? And there were a few, but not a lot. And so I wanted to change that and I wanted to be a role model for for those younger um females that are now growing and looking at me, opening doors for them as they come. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Hello, listeners, and thanks for joining us on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants living in the United States and around the world. Today, we have another fabulous story to add to our Immigrant Human Library, and it is that of Stephanie Nwesi. Welcome, Stephanie. I'm so excited to be here and speaking with all of your listeners, and I hope that my immigrant story can inspire many people. Thank you for having me. Very good. Yeah, looking forward to learning more. So, Stephanie, if you if you would, just tell us a bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, professional, personal bio, as, as you'd like to share. Absolutely. So my name is Stephanie Nuesi. I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. I did all my education in, in the country. And then I came to the U.S. when I was 15 in 2015. I was raised by my mom. I lived with my mom and my two siblings. And I always wanted to have bigger dreams and bigger aspirations, which is one of the reasons that led me to move to the U.S., where I pursue higher education. I went to college in in a school in New York, and the first challenge that I faced that I know many people listening will, will relate to was English. I, I came with not knowing how to speak a word of English. All I knew to say was hello, and as a 15-year-old teenager, I realized how hard people that didn't speak the language in this country had it. I didn't really know how to face those challenges at such an early age. And I think I had to become an adult, even when I was still a teenager. And so facing those challenges of English language barrier, not knowing how the economy works in the U.S., not knowing how people relate here, not knowing how to apply for college, not having that support and guidance really held me back from achieving what I wanted to achieve when I came here. And on the other side of the coin, my parents never went to college. My parents um, never went to high school. They didn't know many things that I, that I wish they knew so that they could support me, but unfortunately they didn't. And so as a first-gen I had to learn all of the things that many people are taught by their parents uh, when they grow up in the country. I had to learn it on my own when I was 15. And that means applying for college, learning about financial aid, uh, learning how I could get free English classes in, in different libraries around. And so all of these things combined uh, kind of built the foundation of the person that I am today. Wonderful. So I'm curious to know, you mentioned a bit that you, I saw a post that you made on LinkedIn that you grew up, you remember carrying water. Give us a sense for what life was like in the DR before you moved. Yes. So 
My mom, my siblings, and I lived in a very humble um, neighborhood. We had very humble beginnings. I remember that my mom told me the stories of when we used to um, go to my grandma's farm and basically live, you know, in, in a rural, rural environment, just carrying water uh, from the river, basically like having, you know, raising animals, all these different things uh, to make a living. And my mom, she grew up in a in a very humble environment as well. She, I think, she had it worse. Like she had to sell things on the street to to maybe be able to get money for her and her and her brothers and sisters. I mean, she had like nine siblings, and you can only imagine such a big household um, with my grandparents like working. And my mom was. It kind of like the, the the second head of household in the house. So she had to take care of everyone else. And so as as I was growing up, my my mom, as someone who didn't go to college and didn't have a vacation, she was not able to work very fancy jobs or have mm-hmm. my mom never knew what it what it meant to have a six figure job. So when people talk about that in the U.S., that's that that's really not a thing for her and for my family. And so she had to do everything you can think of to be able to raise me and, and my brothers. I remember growing up, I, I used to go with my mom when she was selling candies on the street and on the parks. And I used to be, you know, the little kid with with her there and seeing her doing all of these things I remember when I was in high school she became an electrician she took some classes and she actually worked as an electrician like she would go out in the streets and actually do electrician work um at you know at, at that age and seeing all those things and, and growing up in that environment really built up that personality in me of saying if my mom could do all of those things like what can't I do right Mm -hmm. and so coming to this country with that background kind of helped me keep my food like on earth and like kind of being humble and knowing that whatever achievements I would get here were coming from me growing up in in a very humble environment from me not having a computer at home up until I reach a certain age, for me not having access to a phone until I was like 14 years old. Because we, number one, we couldn't afford to buy all of those things. And number yes. two, um, be living in a developing country, we didn't have access to technology in the schools that I went to. And so with all of those things combined, um, that's what kind of led me into the road of like wanting to work in tech because I wanted to to develop and then be part of the change of developing tech products for people that don't have access to technology. Right. Awesome. But, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that that's a lot of the world. And until recently, that's a lot of the U.S. and probably still so a lot. There are a lot of rural schools where people don't have access to that type of technology that people do in the big cities. I guess most people have cell phones now. That's really widespread. But a lot of people until recently don't really didn't have access to a laptop or a computer or especially in the schools. So, um, you know, um uh, but I get that. I, I I relate coming from the Caribbean, growing up in Jamaica, not having that type, type of technology, being at your fingertips and what life was like. And I, as well with my family, grew up in a rural area of Jamaica. We had a family farm. 
used to carry water as well. So I can really relate to that. Um, and I didn't consider myself poor. Um, we had animals, goats, we had a donkey, we had lots of chickens, dogs, we had my lots of cows. And my family, with my dad's side of family, farmers on both sides of my family, actually. So, but I, I get, because I, I can relate to seeing the ladies in the park selling candy or trying to do whatever they can. In Jamaica, they call them higglers, selling just to make, to put food on the table. So I get that. And I can totally get that. So, but I wonder... You know, what? what's the culture like then outside of the rural area? Like for you, what were the fun things that you did, you know, as a kid growing up? Like what's what's the DR like? Give us a sense for, you know, being a kid in the DR. How did you guys play? How, you know, what was the food like, music, you know? Yeah. Um. So DR, it's a very much like, cultural rich country and I mean that in all type of senses so in in the sense of like kids will be playing on the streets I remember that my mom would call me all the time to come back into the house because I was always playing with my with my friends on the streets like actually playing kids games and 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 things on the street or having my friends over to just play with with toys and stuff like that was DR for you and it was pretty safe to do that Yes. Uh, and then on the other on the other side, like on the other side, the cultural reach of like the food, like we have plenty of organic food because we actually like produce the food in DR. A lot of the food that's been produced in DR is actually being exported to other countries. And so because of that, a lot of the food that we consume was very organic and very natural and, and with less preservative, which is something that I actually found interesting coming into, into the US, like the differences between food and, and all these different things. But in DR, the, the, the norm, it's that you, you would cook every day right? That means breakfast, lunch, dinner, that'll be fresh food that, that you would actually cook with fresh um, ingredients and, and things like that. And in terms of music, we have a lot of variety of different music. I think DR is known for bachata and um, and merengue. So those are like the two, we call it folklore, which is the two major like DR music gen genres are merengue and bachata. And that now they're well known like globally but like aside from that like reggaeton dembow and other type of music yeah that's what some things are being developed recently but i would say like when i was growing up there my favorite part was um just having fun just like i would i would be walking in the streets and people would be willing to offer me like juice or coffee i remember my mom would always sit outside and just talk to the neighbor and just have coffee with her every afternoon and that was the thing like that was easy that was your culture we we in dr you you don't you didn't really see much of that hustle culture of like people always just working and going home and going to sleep and going back up and then working right like they were some sort of of of, of community formed and i feel like the sense of community is big when it comes to like Caribbean countries. So those were the, my favorite things and that I still hold close to my heart about DR.
Very good. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Community is a big thing. And we tend to lose that when we come here because we get so busy. We have to be very deliberate in making sure that we make time for the people in our families and our friends that really just fill us up and give us the strength to go back out there and face whatever we need to face, right? That's such an important thing to make sure that we maintain in this culture here because we can get lost. So I wonder then, so you came over at 15 and give us a sense for what that was like in the first day, the first few weeks few months like how how were you adjusting how absorbing this new place like what were memories do you have that you may have from like your first week here absolutely so fun fact the first day that I arrived to the U.S. it was snowing so it was my first time actually seeing snow in person uh, I, I was picked up by my dad so my dad lived in the U.S. for about 30 years I never I never lived with my dad my mom raised me, but we came to the U.S. to live with him. And it was a very interesting encounter because now I I was not only adjusting to a new country, but I was also adjusting to living with my dad for the first time after 15 years, right? And so there's a lot of shocks and a lot of emotions involved in that, in that encounter. I would say that the first few days were really hard on me because I no longer had my friends. I no longer had my school. I no longer had the environment that I was raised in for 15 years. And all I had was a new country where, first of all, they don't even speak my language. And a new country where people around me, I had to literally like use Google Translate to go anywhere. I had to ask like people for help. Like, where do I take this train? I remember I got lost in, I I moved to New York City when I came and, and I got lost in the trains of New York City plenty of times before I actually learned how to take a train and then not being able to ask a question because I don't I don't speak the language was really hard for me the other thing too is like I was 15 so I couldn't I my goal was not really like getting a job at that point my goal was like how can I get into school and so at that point I started like researching what I could do but it took me a couple of months to adjust because you already know paperwork getting everything settled before I could do anything else so the first week was chaotic that's the word that I was looking for it was all about getting all my paperwork in adjusting to what I was seeing the shock and and emotional distress of like having to move with my dad which I didn't live with for such a long time and then all of that combined for a 15 year old teenager it was definitely a, a a life-changing experience for me. Now, after those that first week, those first few days, I slowly started getting used to um to my environment. And I feel like that really changed things for me. One of the things that changed was that I started making friends. Uh, for me, just going into the park and just sitting there. I, I met a lot of people that were Latinos and immigrants like myself, especially because New York is rich with a lot of Dominicans. And so I met a lot of people that looked like me by just going out and just seeing people. And I think that helped a little bit with the transition of coming from from my country. But I would say for anyone who's like recently in the country or just coming to the country, something I would do that I didn't do was do my research. Right. So like research where you're going to be leaving, research the opportunities around you, research like 
what are some resources and, and guidance and opportunities? Like I wish I would have known about scholarships early on and not waited until I had to apply for college or, or three years later to find out that there were scholarships available and things like that. So if you do your research before you come, and as you're, as you're here in the first few weeks, that's going to set you up for success, which is something that I didn't do. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was developing your emotional intelligence. So as a 15-year-old teenager facing all of those challenges and, and, and different like encounters that I had, I felt that it was a lot. It was a lot to handle. I was sad. I was... I, I felt like I wanted to give up. I, I felt like, why, why am I even here? I, I don't know if I made the right decision, but at the same time, it was not my decision. I was brought to the country by my parents at that point. But I said, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to give it a try. This is very challenging, but I'm going to give it a try. And looking back now, I'm 24. I think that sticking to what I was going through and learning and developing a growth mindset, which is something that I talk about a lot in my videos, on my LinkedIn posts, like developing a growth mindset of understanding that the failures, the rejections, the challenges, the circumstances were only a way for me to like build up my, the foundation of what I needed to become the person that I, that I am today. And so all of those things combined, it's like what I call the little Steph. Um, that little Steph had a lot of dreams. She came to the US with two big luggages right? Two suitcases and one dream. And that one dream was to make my parents proud because my mom did a lot to make sure that I came to this country. And even when she came to this country, you would think that she would just be at home. But my mom would wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning to go to work, to come back home, to make sure we could pay the bills in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so she did all that in my country. And then she came here and she kept doing it even though she didn't speak the language even though she faced discrimination she didn't care she would never complain she would go out on the snow she would do a lot of different things to make things happen and so that was the biggest thing for me because I wanted to give my mom and my parents a life where they would enjoy all the sacrifices that they made and that's that's a big dream and that's what I've been doing now Awesome. And you mentioned you were encouraging folks earlier on to do research. I mean, some people coming over, their mindset isn't necessarily there where they're thinking, you know, <laughs> or they, I don't even know how many people have phones these days coming over. But I know a lot of people in developing countries or outside the U.S. have access to phones. When I was here, it was not cell phones. It was library. And I had to slowly figure out that. In the United States, information, nobody hands you anything. Nobody just tell you anything you have got to chase after the information. So I remember learning that whenever I have like a company that I'm dealing with, whether it's an interview or if I needed to get information about a utility, I had to show that initiative to call. I need to get up and do it. It was something that I vividly remember learning. Simone, this is up to you to take action. Nobody's going to call you back until you call and get that information because there's so many people they're dealing with. So that's a, a very good nugget that I think you're highlighting for people. Tap into the information that you have. In 2023, there is so much available on the internet. And so be empowered and you you definitely have to take initiative and, and chase after what you need, you want. So I, I'm so proud of your mom and that's typical of immigrant parents, right? They go hard for their children, right? I see it in my family. 
in other people's family and you're telling the very same story. You mentioned that you were able to help your mom retire. Give us a bit about that. That's an exciting uh, place to be, to be able to do that at 24. I know. Yes. So something that I said earlier is that the the little stuff that came to the U.S. in 2015 came with two suitcases and one big dream. And one of the, and that big dream was to help my parents retire. And so um, in 2020, oh, 2020 to 2022, we were working towards getting them back to the ER, not having to work. And so we we started working on um, some real estate developments. I helped them finish up a house that they're now renting. And so they're living in their own house while also having rentals um, in our home country. And basically now they don't need to work anymore because they are having like the 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 results of everything that they work for are now are now ready. And I also helped them build their dream home. Uh, I know that. It was such a big dream for us to make that happen, especially because we are coming from humble backgrounds where we had a house that the floor was not built. We would have occasions when I was growing up where we would have um, flutings and like 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 there was water all around and like all these different things. And so I've always wanted my parents to have a house that would be protected and that they could rest at. And thankfully, yes. I was able to help them build that house. And I was help, able to help them retire in our home country in DR. And then the most beautiful part of all of that was flying them out to, to New York last um, last year, actually, to my graduation. So I, I graduated as the first one in my family to, to go to school in the U.S. and graduate here. And I flew them from my home country. I brought them here. And they were there in a stadium with, I don't know, 10,000 people. And they were sitting there smiling, looking at me, graduating at 23. And now at 24, I can probably say that my parents no longer have to worry about having to wake up late or having to work hard to to earn the money because they no longer have to do that. And I, I'll make sure that, that that's the case for the lifetime that, the lifetime that they'll be with me. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing to be able to do that at um, such a young age. That's something that's on my list. I'm still working at it. But, you know, luckily my parents are able to do some for themselves and they're okay. But hopefully I'll be able to just completely help my dad to get off the off the train here in a little bit. So I wonder, Stephanie, you mentioned scholarships earlier, like were there, what opportunities helped you along your way to kind of get into school and to figure things out? Maybe people, you know, shout outs you might want to give, like, how did that happen for you getting into college and coming over at 15? Did you go straight into high school? So fun fact, I graduated high school when I was 14. So I know this is going to shock many people because typically the the high school age in the U.S., I think it's 18, right? 17, 18. But at 14, I graduated high school. So DR has a different educational system. And coming to the U.S., I was already a high school graduate. So I came straight to college. But the problem I faced is that I didn't speak English. And that was one of the first problems. So for people that don't know, when you do high school, 
in, in other, another country, you have to take college entrance exams. And unfortunately, uh, when I went to school and I had to take those, I didn't know English. But I'm going to walk back a little bit. So when I moved to the U.S., I used to live in uh, in a Dominican household. So the the owner of the house was renting us a unit and she was Dominican. And her daughter was a middle school teacher. And I remember that I asked her, hey, like, can you help me understand what what are the schools in in New York that I could apply to? Can you guide me through like, what do I need to learn? And so she was very kind to to help me research that information. She told me some schools that I could just go to their register office and, and, and welcome center and just like get information about them. And so I would always bring my mom with me to those places. Like I actually went physically to the universities to get information um, because I wanted to learn like the environment, how what what did they look like, you know, things like that. And so I learned about CUNY, which is the the a school I went to. So CUNY is like the main um, school, which has different like schools, like the one I went to. And I right, remember so that the city, the city university of New York, the university of New York. Yep. And I remember I went into the CUNY major headquarters in New York and I was welcomed by someone and they asked me to uh, bring all my paperwork, which is something that people don't know, right? If you go to another country, you need to bring your paperwork, you need to translate it to English, you need to have an RIs, like all those different processes that people don't know. Um, I had to do all of that before coming to the US. So now that I have my paperwork in, they asked me that they I needed to pass math and English test exams. And unfortunately, I knew everything that was asked on the math test, but I didn't know English. I knew a little bit of English to read, but I could not take a reading, writing, and oral exam and pass on a college level. Yes. And because I failed, I couldn't get into college. So I was rejected from the colleges wow. I applied to on my first try, and that was in 2015. So I had to wait months to be able to apply again. Uh, and and in, in that period of time, that same neighbor that I spoke earlier, she helped me understand English more. She was practicing English with me every day. I was going on YouTube. She told me about a library that was offering free English classes. And so what I did was that I would walk 30 minutes from my house to that free library. And there was a college student that was offering volunteering time to help people that didn't speak English. And so I would go to that class. And mind you, this was the first come first serve. So if you don't come early to the class, you wouldn't be able to go into the class because everyone was trying to get into the class. And so I remember just rushing every day to go take the class with her and and just develop my English skills. And I did that for about six, seven months before I applied again for college. This time around, I was more prepared. I was going through all of the exams on my own. I took, I literally downloaded all the practice exams and I started doing them with with my neighbor that was a middle school teacher. And I remember that after doing it for such a long time, I was able to pass my second time around, um, but with one condition. I I I was conditionally approved to go to college as an ESL student. 
So if you don't know what an ESL student is, ESL stands for English as a Second Language. And so I got in as an ESL student. So I had to take one year of English, one year before I could take my normal college classes, which means another year that you could think that was lost at this point, right? And so I took one year of intensive English classes. And then after that, I had to retake the same test again to see if I was ready to take college classes. And once I took those tests, and I passed them, I started officially taking classes. So this was a heroic coaster. And there's a reason why I'm mentioning all of this, because you might see the success. You might see that I graduated from college. But it took all of this to even be able to take a college class. And I can only imagine what other people are also going through when they apply for college as well. Right. I can only imagine. My goodness. It's, you know, I, and it's especially, especially challenging for people who don't come with the with English as their first language so I grateful that I didn't have to Jamaica is this English-speaking country and I didn't have to um, learn but there were adjustments to going from British English to American English and learning the culture and local lingo and the system and how everything works so I totally get that challenge and adjusting so I wonder then Stephanie like are you the oldest in your family forgive me if I forgot you said you had Two siblings, maybe, I think. Yeah, I'm actually the youngest. Oh, you're the youngest. Wow. What is it like being, you know, that first gen, going hard, trying to make it for your parents? Because it's not just for you. It's for your family. It's for your parents. And and is that your motivation or is it simply, is, is it something bigger? I would say that in, in what I'm going to share, I feel like a lot of people will relate uh, when, when you're that person in your family that, that carries your family on your shoulders, it's a lot of responsibility. And I felt that responsibility when I was 15 already. And so yes. to go back to your 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 previous question, so I have two two siblings. My brothers are um, 40 and 38 uh, and I'm 24. So there's a 15-year gap, right? And at that, at that point, well, my, my brother stayed in the DR. Uh, for for a very long time before coming here. They're actually in the U.S. now. Um, but I lived here for about six years before they came here. And so even when my brothers came to the U.S., they already had a path that was kind of set because I walked through it. So at that point, I was able to help them kind of navigate that in a more straightforward way. Whereas I came with nothing and have to figure out everything myself as the youngest. And typically, um, you see in families that the older, um, it's kind of the one that takes on, you know, a lot of the responsibilities. I think in my case, I took the responsibilities in my family. And it was really hard because I was just a teenager. And I, I, I wanted to understand how life works before I even take on a whole family responsibility. But, you know, those are the circumstances that that happen in life. For me, it's definitely my parents, my biggest motivation. I feel like everything they've done for me, they deserve everything they're they're living right now, the peace. They deserve everything. But you also mentioned if there's something bigger, and I think there is something bigger. And it's how do I grow and how do I become the person that I want my kids to have? How do I be that next 
mom. I, I literally, every time I'm featured on, on a magazine, every time I am shown on a podcast, every time I'm, every time I'm anywhere, all I think about is I want my kids to look back at this dance and say, that's my mom. I want my kids to be proud of myself whenever I have a family to say my mom built a legacy while she was alive. I don't want to wait until I'm old enough to start building a legacy. I want to build a legacy now so that by the time I have a family, they can look back and feel proud of the of, of the mother they have. And at the same time, I want to open doors for the future generation, right? I want, I want younger females like me, those are going to school, those are there in my home country, those are in the Caribbean, to look at me and say, wow, if Stephanie's doing it, I can do it too, right? I feel like most of the times, especially us females don't have like role models that look like us and that are in our similar age range, especially me looking at the younger side as a Gen Z. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to change that. That was something that that went through my my mind in the last few years. Who who can I who can I look up to that's on my similar age range that I can get motivation from and, and learn from to actually get to where I wanted to be? And there were a few, but not a lot. And so I wanted to change that and I wanted to be a role model for for those younger um females that are now growing and looking at me, opening doors for them as they come. Join us again next time for part two of this episode. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.